Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is the Attack on Titan special event. In honor of the epic conclusion to the show that defines this generation of anime, we're reviewing every single episode of the final season. This week, we're reviewing episode 72, Children of the Forest. As always, there'll be spoilers about anything that's happened previously in Attack on Titan, so you've been warned. So I feel like before we get into our Attack on Titan discussion, we've got a lot of like news and updates to share this week. Breaking news. <laughs> about like a couple different topics. So um, one of the things we wanted to share um, is that we are working on expanding the Strictly series with more ways to listen to our podcast and connect with us because we really want to connect with our listeners more. Um, and that includes working on our Discord server and working on hopefully launching a YouTube channel in the coming weeks. Um, and then what we've actually gone and done is launched our official Patreon page. Woohoo! <laughs> we've been so incredibly grateful for all the support and everyone listening to our podcast, both Strictly Anime and Strictly JoJo. And if you enjoy the show and have been considering supporting us, um, we now have that Patreon under the Strictly series. Uh, we want to continue to upgrade our podcast and expand what we do here at the Strictly series to bring you guys the best possible content and keep sharing our love of anime. So that was kind of the the driving force behind us creating our Patreon. Yeah, our other option was to create an OnlyFans page, <laughs> but I don't know how many of you would really want to see any of that, but... <laughs> Um, but as always, we thank all of you for your support, and there are many different ways to support us, so hopefully you will consider using Patreon as one of those ways. Yeah, so if you'd like to support the show, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And now on to anime news and updates. Um, the biggest announcement, I think, to come out of this past week, and we just have to talk about, because this is one of... Uh, one of our, our beloved shows, our, our beloved anime, is Devil is a Part-Timer Season 2 being what? dropped on us after, I think, like seven or eight years. Is that right? When did that last air? I think it was about seven or eight years ago. Um, and so I think we're pretty fortunate that we started watching this anime last year. And so we didn't have to go through that long, arduous wait as much of the rest of the community had to. Yeah, it came out in 2013, season one did. Um, and I, so this is one of those rare occasions where I loved an anime so much, I just had to read the manga, especially because I knew, or at least I thought I knew at wow. the time. that this there is strictly anime. <laughs> at least I thought I, I knew at the time that there was not going to be a season two. So I didn't read all of the manga, truthfully. I just kind of maybe read a couple of chapters. I, I just had to know what happened next. And it was really good. And I'm very excited that they're going to be adapting it into another season. Um, I don't remember much of what I read because I binged it in like two nights and it was like a long time ago. <laughs> so no worries. I'm sure I'll forget everything by the time season two actually rolls around. But uh, yeah, I am very excited for that. I think... Um, what I also really appreciate about what I've seen from the trailers is that season two is going to be um, a little bit different in terms of animation style. The character designs look much closer to the manga, and I actually prefer the look of the manga over the anime. Not that I didn't like the anime, um, the anime art style, but I, I prefer the way the characters look in the manga. So I am excited for that too. 
Yeah, and for those of you who may may or may not know, uh, this was one of the anime that we had reviewed um, early on in our in our heyday. Um, so if you're interested, it's actually episode 11 where we review The Devil is a Part-Timer, which we now labeled season one. So I did. Yeah, I went on there the other day after I saw that announcement come through. I'm like, got to officially label it season one. But disclaimer, if you do listen to that podcast episode, um, that review of Devil is a Part-Timer season one, which you definitely should, it's going to sound a little bit different because it was before we had these uh, nice new microphones. So we might sound a little a like little shittier. Like 340p <laughs> yeah. or something, if it were a YouTube video. We'll sound like we're in a tube or something. I don't know. And I think the timing makes sense for the season two announcement. I mean, overall, it was super random and everyone was, everyone's been freaking out if you haven't seen on Twitter or Instagram. Well, it was, I think they announced it like on the 10th anniversary of the light novel or something. So it was, it was still an occasion to be celebrated, but it, this, yeah, it was still something out of left field. Yeah. And I think it coincides with the light novel recently finishing up. Um, I... I haven't heard much of about that, but when I was reading the manga, it was right around the time the, the light novel ended, so I had seen some posts about the story kind of coming to a conclusion. So yeah, I think the while the timing is not ideal because we had to wait, well, not us personally, but people had to wait seven years or something like that, at least we have it. At least we can say that season two is finally going to be here. And in other anime news, just some, some general updates from us, um, we've been kind of binge watching anime okay i've been binge watching anime yeah we (laughs) we we've been catching up on anime that's been on our watch lists um but i've been binge watching that why don't you start carl by telling us what you've been watching lately i mean i haven't been able to really sit down and binge anything just because again with with my full-time work it's it's a busier part of the year but the one show that I am trying to get back into is Space Dandy. Um, Space Dandy. Yeah. And I remember watching it uh, back in back in college and just being so fascinated by it. And it's, of course, by the same person who directed um, the Cowboy Bebop series and Samurai Champloo, Kids on the Slope, and Carol and Tuesday, uh, Shinichiro Watanabe. And I love his work. But I remember this one I had watched like the first season, but I had never finished the second half. So I'm trying to finally close that part out um, by rewatching it and by watching season two. Um, but that's it's only been bits and pieces of episodes every now and then. So I don't think I'd be able to finish that series all in one sitting, um, but hopefully, hopefully soon. Because again, I love that show and I remember I, always wanted to cosplay as Space Dandy, um, especially with his big pompadour uh, haircut. His Josuke hair. Yeah. <laughs> before we knew, before, yeah, I even knew who Josuke was. Well, I remember from Space Dandy, I think my favorite part about it was that they called the restaurant the restaurant because it was like Boobies. a Hooters, it was like a Hooters style restaurant where all the, the waitresses are dressed in you know, very skimpy outfits and have big tits. So I just thought that was so clever. I'm like, oh, a restaurant like that. That just works so well. Like props to you guys, writers. Yeah. And I guess it's a pretty easy show to watch, too, because like a lot of the episodes are kind of they're set up like one offs. Although I don't know if that plays into the bigger story where one episode isn't directly connected to another or there's no 
real, I guess, plot that's driving throughout the show. Like a like episodic single adventures. Yeah, kind of like yeah, like the adventure of the week, I guess. Um, so in that sense, it's 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 a it's an easygoing show to watch. There's not a lot of um, intense themes or or analysis that you really need to do to watch the show. Um, but it, it is an enjoyable romp. So for those of you who haven't watched Space Dandy, I do recommend it. And who knows, maybe I'll talk about it one day um, on a separate podcast. And you're also watching the one, okay, again, like everyone knows, I'm really bad with names and titles, that bottom tier character. Tomozaki-kun. Yeah. What is it? What's the full title? Uh, bottom tier character Tomozaki-kun. How is that? Um... That one, I've only watched the first two episodes, and then, again, I took a hiatus just because I got so busy with other things. Uh, it's also, it, that one's also a pretty, pretty fun show to watch. Um, it kind of reminds me of a Japanese movie that I watched a long time ago called Train Man, um, but the premise of this show is basically like a high school student um, who's kind of like a, not a hikikomori, but he keeps himself, and he's a big otaku who's into like video games and so with the help of one of his classmates he tries to kind of break out of his shell and become more social and i guess become more of like a sociable person um but again i've only gotten two episodes in and i'm pretty sure it's going to be wrapping up soon as i think it's only 11 or 12 episodes but yeah i'd love to get back into that show and see how this character Tomozaki ends up. Um, yeah, it's it's a show that's also very heavily influenced by video games. So they make a lot of nods and homages to, especially to like Nintendo. So it, it's kind of interesting to see how they they take their spin on these consoles without again breaking any copyright copyright rules. I love that. That kind of reminds me of when I watched um, Wotakoi because there it's about otaku um, and how they they navigate love basically and there were a lot of references in that and i really enjoyed it but hey if it's gonna end soon then you can do what i do and binge watch it all in one day that's true i don't have to wait (laughs) every week for an episode but that's literally what i've i've done because i've recently finished aoharu ride which is also known as blue spring ride um kakushigoto which was a recommendation from matt at otaku melancholy so thank you for recommending that to me and then anohana the flower we saw that day each of those is about 12 episodes or i think anohana might be 11 so that's the perfect number for me to sit down and binge each of those episodes or each of those series in an entire day so i spent three days pretty much in a row watching those three anime did you even sleep I, I went to, well, when I was watching Alahado Ride, I started that one later in the day, and I went to bed probably at like four in the morning with work the next day. Wow. <laughs> and I, I usually don't do that. I'm not, I'm not the type to really stay up too late unless I'm, I'm drunk or something. But <laughs> <laughs> that one was so good. I, I love watching slice of life romance anime, but I'm not like crazy on them where I need to watch them back to back to back. I like to kind of pepper them throughout my watch list but this one holy shit like i was so addicted to it and i i know it got like a pretty decent score on my anime list probably in like the high sevens if i remember correctly um but the the premise of it and the characters it's just like right up my alley i i I rated it pretty high and i'd probably put it up there with one of my favorite slice of life romance animes of all time Um, i don't know something about it just really clicked with me so i enjoyed that i know that it kind of ended open-ended because it 
there's still more to the manga. And this is another rare occasion where I actually read the rest of the manga because wow. I just had to know what happened. And again, Are this... we even strictly anime anymore? <laughs> again, this rarely ever happens. Like you, I have to be really. This compelled. is twice that. Okay, but this because okay, that's because there was this was Al Ride was this year that I read the manga last year I think right I watched or I read the Devil's a Part Timer manga mm-hmm. and the last time I read a manga before that was the year prior when I had to read part six of Jojo so at most I read a manga and it's not even the whole thing it's like whatever the anime le- leaves off on I read a manga once a year that that's a, that's about the max you'll get from me when it comes to manga but I feel like with that I know that sometimes anime has to cut out content from the manga um, just because they're pressed for time. Did you feel like that happened in this case? Well, in Ao Haru Ride, definitely, because it, it ended before the show actually ended. But I, So here's the thing. I don't know if it left out anything from like the, the earlier parts of the manga because I picked up the manga exactly where it left off in the anime. Um, which is what I do with everything. So same with Devil's a Part-Timer. Like, I actually don't know if there's much that was left out in the anime adaptations because I didn't read any of the earlier stuff in the manga. But I guess reading the manga, it, did everything still flow pretty well? Like, there weren't any parts where you were kind of confused about, like, what one character was doing or, um, I don't know, like, something else that happens? Yeah, I'd say so, even though I also binged the manga in one day, <laughs> the day after I finished the, the show. So I'm sure things went right over my head. But I'm not a, again, I'm, I'm not an, a manga reader, so I don't get heavily invested in the manga. I just am reading it to, to absorb what happened next. But with Kakushi Goto and Anohana, those were really good shows as well. Um, Anohana specifically, like I went into it knowing that it was going to be a tearjerker that it was going to be mad feels. And I definitely did get choked up at, at points. I didn't cry, but I got really choked up at the end. Um, that one I think is a, a great show and people have recommended it to me on a number of occasions. So I'm glad I finally got to watch it. And I would recommend that you watch it too. Just be ready for a lot of emotion, like watch it on the day where you feel like you can, you know, continue on in life. Because you're, you're like at a, at a good point. Do <laughs> don't I have watch any it. daylight? <laughs> don't watch it when you're already depressed because it'll fr- like send you further into your depression. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and talking about depression is a great transition into the topic at hand, which is Attack on Titan. Beautiful. Episode 72. <laughs> Here we are. a Another super intense episode. One of those ones where... Not a lot actually happens in the episode, but a lot happens in terms of plot progression um, and character development. So loved this episode, mostly because I got one of the things that I've been asking for, which is Gabby's fucking karma. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the second time that we've seen a nice punch land on her face. Oh my God. She got punched in two episodes. Like, oh, it's it's glorious. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just happy that, you know, I think I called it about the wine a couple a couple episodes ago, and, and it seems that that theory has come to fruition here. Um, so it's nice to see that closure, especially having talked about the wine for, for quite some time now. Um, but yeah, I thought that this was a really great episode, it, even though, again, it, it's, a, it's a talking episode, and I know people kind of frown upon those, but... I I enjoyed this a lot more than I than I thought I would. 
And it seems like it's the last of these major talking episodes, but it, it's just a very impactful one. And I think it presents a larger commentary, especially with the scenes in the restaurant, on how you know the ties that bind these characters, whether they're Marleyan or Eldian, are a lot stronger than the ones that kind of tear them apart. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis for episode 72, Children of the Forest. Which, by the way, I think that's a reference to Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> about that. <laughs> so, again, I don't think there's any actual correlation there, but just do with that what you will. At Air Z and Zeke, our beastly buddy recounts to Levi how an experimental gaseous form of his spinal fluid was released in the Paradise village of Ragako, which paralyzed its townfolk and turned them into titans upon hearing his scream. As much as he states his regret, Low-rise Levi is still sus and believes that Zeke just wants to see the world burn. A scout informs Levi of what's happened at the military HQ, which throws our little man into a quarter-life crisis over whether or not Aaron Gagerbaum was worth all the trouble. Over at Trattoria Nicolo, the Browse family is treated to a hearty dinner courtesy of Nicolo and his stand, Marl Jam. The scouting squad wait in a separate area to ask Nicolo questions related to their Yelena investigation, but he chides Johnny Boy for laying his filthy Eldian hands on that special Marlian house wine. Falco Punch and Gung Hobag Gabby take the opportunity to ask Niccolo about a way back to Marley, but when that dumb bitch stupidly reveals that she was the one that killed Best Potato Girl, Niccolo tries to take the special house wine bottle to her face. Except that Falco bravely absorbs the blow and is down, and possibly drunk, for the count. Nicolodian apprehends Gabby and reveals the truth to the Browse family, but Papa Browse refuses to kill her and perpetuate the endless cycle of violence. Even though Kaya promptly tries to cut a bitch, for which I do not blame her one bit. Armin and Mikasa take Gabby away from the commotion, and she is conflicted over why they would go out of their way to protect a dumbass bitch like herself. Distraught over all that has transpired, Nicolodian informs the scouts that the special house wine has a secret ingredient called Zeke's spinal fluid, and he was instructed by Yelena to serve it to high-ranking military officers for undisclosed reasons. The scouts attempt to remove any traces of wine from Falco's mouth and body when the Jaegerists pull up, led by Waka Flaka with a Glocka. He reveals that they have no intention to negotiate with genuine Pikshisu, since he is probably secretly plotting to take Eren's founding titan power anyways, and that they knew about Yelena's special house wine plan all along. They proceed to take the restaurant hostage until Metal Gear Hanj books them a room at Air Zienzik. And finally, we get to the main course at Trattoria Nicolo, as Aaron shows up to have a dinner conversation with Armin and Mikasa, while Gabby gets the sloppy seconds. So right off the bat, we get more Levi and Zeke moments. And specifically, Zeke having his moment to get back at Levi about his popularity. I really like that exchange. It was super short, but it was just fun to see someone actually poke fun at Levi because that doesn't happen very often, at least not to his face. Yeah, and I know the, the internet was kind of ablaze over the, the translation of this scene because I think, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, in the manga, Zeke says that he hears that Levi is very popular with the ladies. Yeah, I heard that too, that that was a distinct change to the subtitles. Um, I kind of would have preferred that because that's not a side of Levi that we ever see, like him <laughs> him thinking about like women or love or anything like that. So that would have been, I think, a, 
a, a better line to have. But even still, I enjoyed it. I, it was funny to kind of see him kind of pulled a little bit out of his out of his element. And I like how he kind of slips in at the end, like, and I'm popular, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like self affirming himself. Yeah. <laughs> we also see Levi, um, and this is a little bit later, but start to second guess everything that he's done for Aaron. And it just makes me think if Aaron keeps this up, he's going to lose the loyalty that he pressure tested earlier in the season in Marley. Like he he really put he really put the scouts loyalty to the test when he, you know, went rogue on them. And now things are starting to, to fall apart for him. Like that was probably the last time he'll ever be able to do something like that. Yeah, you can just see how much that weighs down on Levi because he's he's trusted Aaron to be like, I think he says in the episode, like the savior of humanity. And I like how you have that shot of him in the forest with scenes from previous seasons popping up behind him is kind of like his thoughts um, of instances where he did save Aaron's ass. So like he gave up a lot for Aaron. And one thing I noticed with this episode, there is kind of a recurring theme of trust or the lack thereof. So especially with this, you can see the conflict of whether or not Levi can trust Aaron to be the hope um, of humanity that he thought he was going to be. Um, Yet it's kind of that, kind of like another Star Wars reference where everyone thought Anakin Skywalker was the chosen one and then he fell down a dark path. You will try. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess along those same lines, like I think I said this in the last episode, it's sort of like Aaron is the Darth Vader to Zeke's Palpatine. And it's just so interesting with Zeke because like my question after hearing his exchange with Levi at the beginning is, and then learning about everything that's going on behind the scenes throughout this episode is like, is Zeke like triple crossing everybody? And again, using Aaron as his accomplice. And does he even have any morals because Levi surmises that, you know, Zeke had used his abilities um, and the village at Ragako, um, and he says that he states, or he states that he regrets, you know, his actions, but Levi kind of can tell from his, I guess, his voice or his... His demeanor. His demeanor, yeah, that he really doesn't. Um, and I don't know, I wrote here is like, is, is Zeke kind of enforcing the mantra that you know it's it's just a dog eat dog or like a titan eat titan world um and it's also interesting because it seems like he's brainwashing aaron in a similar manner that grisha had brainwashed him so many years ago when he was a child so yeah it's there's a lot of danger in manipulation in this world especially and of course with with zeke and his influence on aaron yeah and we see the power of simping for somebody um, because Yelena simps real hard for Zeke and he's able to get her to do all of this shit. She did all of this shit. Mm-hmm. Like that that's pretty impressive for one woman who apparently was under, you know, sharp eye as a uh as a not a, a Marleyan, but someone an Eldian who came from, from Marley. Or is she even Eldian? No, I don't she's know. not they say that she like Onyankapon came from other, other countries. countries that okay. were invaded by Marley. Yeah, so so she she basically has everyone kind of, you know, keeping their eyes on her and yet she's she's still able to accomplish all of this shit. Um but going back to the the gas flashback that we get in the beginning of the episode, that's that's Connie's village, right? Like is that the village where 
in one of the previous seasons, Connie goes back to to go home and then sees his basically what we assume to be his mom as a titan, like on top of his house. Is that the same town? Yes, it is. And yeah, this is another instance of a callback that kind of rewards us longtime viewers because yeah, we get more context to what happened in in Connie's village. Um, and yeah, this again kind of harkening back to a lot of the Nazi and fascist imagery that this show provokes it or evokes like it's interesting that they're using gas um, as an example of the experiments that Marley was doing on these villagers Um, and I remember I I had to rewatch that scene I think it was maybe from season two of what happened when Connie and some of the scouts went to the village one of the scouts notices that you know no bodies were found and we now know it's because they all turned into titans Um, Although the scouts thought that everyone in the village was able to escape. Um, One thing that still doesn't add up is if you remember the Titan that was sitting on top Connie's house that we all um, thought was his mother. She speaks to him. He said or she says, welcome home. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that's that hasn't been addressed at all. Again, with this this scene of or this flashback scene that Zeke is talking about so I'm wondering now that we know that his spinal fluid was included in the wine that was served to to the military and to its officers does it allow for some sort of sentience yeah because I mean we haven't seen pure titans have that level of intelligence or the ability to communicate yet um so that at least not that i can remember so that is interesting uh just one thing one more thing i wanted to point out with the scene um when connie notices the titan speaking guess who snaps him out of it after connie hears the titan sasha reiner oh because <laughs> he doesn't want him thinking about it yeah right? and so yeah reiner kind of snaps him out of it and he actually goes into this spiel about sticking to the mission which, again, knowing the larger context of what happens with Reiner, I think he was talking about, you know, his mission as as an infiltrator of Marley. Um, so, you know, nice. Just wanted to bring that up for everyone. All these little things that we catch now that we know the the bigger picture. It's it's going to be great to to rewatch the show after after it all ends. Mm-hmm. But I, I also noticed that in this scene with Zeke and Levi, this is one of the first times if not the first time that we see levi and zeke agree on something because zeke says something along the lines of like the military or the the headquarters or whatever um think that they have time to spare but really they don't and levi levi says that i agree with you um in that regard so i was like hmm this is interesting like i don't know if they've just been spending so much time together that they're starting to warm up to each other or what um but budding romance yeah a bromance but it was interesting just to see them actually kind of agree and not be at each other's throats for for a moment Mm -hmm. i think the big part of this episode is the um story around nicolo and his love for sasha i think it's so heartwarming but also incredibly sad to see how in love they were without actually even needing to see them together because if you think about it the only scene that we've actually had of them together quote unquote is when she's eating his lobster for the first time and that was when they first met but we haven't actually seen them at all no flashbacks no pictures no nothing but we can just from his reaction to everything that he learned about we can clearly see how in love they were 
Yeah, I like like how you know this show does so much with so little that we don't need to see like a whole episode of Nicolo's interaction with Sasha. Although maybe that could be an OVA down the road. Um, I'd love to see it. Yeah, but it, yeah, as much as you say, like it, it's so heartwarming to see um, how much he loved her. It's also just so heartbreaking to see like how distraught he is um, that she's gone, and knowing that you know this this Marlian warrior who is standing in front of him is the cause of this. Um, and it's just interesting too because you know his loyalty to his country or to his Marlene Creed, it's becoming less relevant to him because of his feelings for Sasha. And I guess for a lot of the Eldians that he's come to know on Paradise, because if you recall, he was, he tried to stop Jean from drinking the, the wine that had Zeke's spinal fluid. And he kind of plays it off like, oh, you're just a dirty Eldian. But in reality, he was just saving him because he, I think he genuinely cares for Jean. Yeah, and going back to Sasha, I think what's interesting is that he even says to some effect that she was kind of like the light in his darkness, being trapped in an enemy territory, being stuck in this, you know, this horrible war. And she gave um, him, like, she gave meaning to his his cooking and kind of gave him the sense of purpose. So, like, it, it just, it shows that she meant so much to him that he, he didn't even care that she was Eldian. He also didn't hesitate to attack Gabby out of revenge, despite her saying that not only is she Marlian and a warrior candidate, but also that an attack was coming. Like that all just went straight past his head or straight over his head because mm-hmm. he was just so in shock about, you know, finding about, out about Sasha. So not even the fact that all these things are at play and her being an Eldian stops him from having this this immediate reaction and feeling so strongly about her death. And to your point, later, he, we also get those moments where Niccolo reflects on his love for an Eldian and his, his friendship with Eldians. It almost seems conflicted, uh, probably, again, because of the, the propaganda. He even calls everyone devils in that room that, that um, in, in the restaurant, which seems kind of out of character for him that we've you know learned so far, but probably is, to your point, an attempt to kind of distance himself um, based on everything that's going on. Uh, I think it was like both him trying to distance himself, but also trying to hide the fact that he knew what was in the wine. He didn't want them to be questioning the wine. He wanted them to be more so like questioning his behavior. Um, that way he wouldn't have to reveal that secret. Although he ended up doing it anyway, which I'm very glad that he did. Yeah. So I guess we can't put him at fault or put him to blame for the shit that's about to go down. So I'm kind of glad that the show, you know, kept him kind of, uh, kept him kind of innocent. Yeah, me too. I was so worried about Nicolo turning out to be shitty based on some of the things we saw in the preview for this episode, as well as those previous moments with the wine um where he kind of like was holding it and looked all creepy and shit yeah like sinister like he knew what the fuck was up with that wine but i'm very glad that again while he was conflicted or continues to be conflicted that overall he's a good guy that genuinely loves sasha and genuinely hates gabby yeah so we know he's part of the fuck gabby crew (laughs) for sure and uh, on that note i like how you know his his anger at gabby is kind of like a continuation of this sort of ethical tirade against her that had started in the previous episode with with Kaya. And I think now Gabby is starting to realize the error of her ways. And it's interesting because, you know, they have there's another shouting match in this episode, much like there was with with the previous one with Kaya. 
um, she still, you know, resorts to like that, that propaganda part of her brain where she tries to tell Nico like, oh, remember that these are all devils and, and they're, they're making you play into their hands. And like she implores him to again remember his loyalty as a as a Marlian soldier, but he starts to put that into question for her because um, he's like none of this matters. Like you killed someone that I I really loved, and I think for Gabby to hear that from a Marlian now instead of an Eldian, that's kind of what is making her so conflicted uh, for the rest of this episode. Because now it's someone that she thought was on their side, who's who is also not sure about what is going on um, in this situation. Yep, it finally happened, people. The moment we've all been waiting for this entire time, Gabby finally realizes what she's done and gets shade from not only Sasha's family, who have kept her safe and and warm and fed, um, but the only friend that she has on Paradise, which is, which is Kaya, and one of her comrades she hoped would save her, Niccolo. So it... I think it just dawns on her that potentially literally everyone hates her and realizes that uh, or she realizes that she put Falco in harm's way unfairly. Her her behavior has completely backfired on her in the most amazing way possible. Um, and once again, she can't keep her fucking mouth shut and ignores Falco when he's trying to stop her from running her mouth to Niccolo. Yeah, like, read the room, lady. Yeah. <laughs> and thanks to that, he gets clocked in the fucking head and possibly is now consumed some of the, the dreaded wine. A hundred percent, that should have been the final straw. Like, he should have, I mean, he's still unconscious, but he, he should let her get knocked the fuck out or should have let her get knocked the fuck out and then just ditched her ass. But he's he's too kind-hearted. And I think Falco, I mean, of all the situations we've seen, this is probably the one where he picked up on things the fastest, but he is very sensitive to others and can read the room and understand the bigger picture while Gabby's over here just as dense as one of Sasha's potatoes and doesn't realize what the fuck is happening before it's too late. And again, Falco's put in harm's way because of that. But I was very happy to see Niccolo land a solid punch, a solid punch with that nice <laughs> sound effect. That folio artist was probably so excited to make that punch sound effect when he when he clocked her in the face. And then he just, the screen just cuts to black. Yeah. It, it was great. But it was crazy, though. I mean, thinking about like that, that whole scene, Niccolo completely tuned out everything that she said. Not even a lick of it resonated with him for a moment, despite him, again, being a comrade, um, and, you know, hearing that, that others are going to come save them and all that stuff. So yes, it was enjoyable to watch as a member of the anti-Gabby squad, but I also admittedly felt a little bit of pity for Gabby in that moment because she's just so convinced. And as I mentioned in the previous episode or two episodes ago, when was like the, the episode where we saw them escape? Was that two epi- episodes ago? I think it was last episode. Okay. Maybe it's the last one. Um, whenever that was, I mentioned that she just kind of refuses to open her mind and that it's basically become this delusion that she's, she's I don't know, inflicted with. Um, the way that she seemed so excited about the news that she was sharing with Nicola, like, yeah, I fucking killed that. I, I fucking killed Sasha. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, get my revenge and all this stuff. Like she was so bright eyed as she was saying this. And no I'm like, one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you are just so stupid. 
And I mean, if again, if Falco, who grew up in a similar situation to her, can realize very quickly what's going on in this moment, why can't she? Like, I, I just, I don't know. I felt pity for her, but then I, I also remember that I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually two episodes ago, episode 70, when that happened. So my mistake, but yeah, potato gang bitch. I think um, you had mentioned in one of our group chats that the uh, the punch that Nicolo landed on Gabby's face had the weight of the whole community behind it. <laughs> yes, it and did. I was like, that is the perfect way to describe that solid A-plus punch. <laughs> and again, I think just to go back to this theme of trust um, with everything that's happened to Gabby in this episode, you know, it's putting into perspective whether or not she can trust everything that she has been taught about parodies, so... There you go. There you go. And I will say that um, when Sasha first died, I think you and I both commented about how it felt like a safe death or somewhat, you know, like inconsequential. But I'm very glad to say that we were proven wrong um, with Isayama's writing and him taking kind of a more unexpected route when showing us the emotional impact of her murder. Um, instead of kind of like taking the murder or kind of building up to the murder and that being the climax, the murder itself is kind of the start of this ripple effect where mm-hmm. we see the people closest to her struggle with her passing um, and her murderer getting the karma she deserves. So it kind of inspires all this character development and reflection. And I just think that's brilliant writing on Isayama's part. And kind of going off of that, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Papa Brouse's reaction to hearing that Gabby was his daughter's killer um, and just how him being the bigger man was like such a significant part of this episode. Um, because like Nicholas says, you know, I'll let you kill her um, if you'd like, or if not if with your permission, if you don't feel like it, I'll do it myself. And then I think his name's Arthur. Arthur takes the knife, but talks about how, you know, he, he comes from a hunting family and, you know, he raised Sasha to be a hunter, but realized that, you know, this isn't something that would work for them in the long run. So he sent her out into the world and she unfortunately still had to resort to that that method of hunting, except this time um, as a part of the military. And then it, it just wound her up um, in a grave. So hearing his like meta commentary about, you know, the forest being the bigger world now where it's still about, you know, kill or be killed. Um, I think he even kind of indirectly says like he wants to break out of that, you know, that cycle of violence and he decides not to, to kill, uh, not to like execute Gabby just because he, he doesn't think that's the right way. And it goes back to, you know, that quote of an eye for an eye just makes the whole world blind. Yeah, no, absolutely. He tells Niccolo and everyone in that room basically that it's up to them to raise the next generation right and to stop that endless cycle of violence and i'm like man this this dude he not only finds out you know this horrible information but he goes from like pure shock and horror at learning that that gabby killed his daughter and he's been harboring this dumbass and then to absolute disgust listening to Gabby call them devils when she's trying to reason with Niccolo and then still does the right thing and saves Gabby and then even asks her if she's okay later on in the conversation. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy is like 
top tier dad and and the fact that he also sympathizes with Niccolo and I think he very clearly sees how much Niccolo loved his daughter Mm -hmm. Um, but when Niccolo apologizes to him at the end of the episode and says that he hopes him revealing the information about the wine will help him atone for his sins um, all uh, Sasha's dad does is just look at him and say Niccolo Kuhn but the fact that he called him Niccolo Kuhn still shows that there's that connection there he still trusts him he still understands him um, and that, you know, I think he, he gets it. He understands the position that Niccolo is in and he's just happy that his daughter had someone that great to, to love her. Cause I love Niccolo. I really <laughs> want him to be a good character. <laughs> yeah. Props, uh, Arthur for again, being the bigger man and, you know, seeing the bigger picture and just understanding like, you know, this is not the way that things should be, things should be dealt with and. You know, violence for the sake of violence just leads to more violence. But on the flip side, we have Kaya, who is genuinely heartbroken and genuinely saw um, Gabby and Falco as her friends. I mean, she even when uh, when Falco fakes that stomach ache and then he and Gabby go off to catch up to Niccolo, she even says in her head, like, good luck, guys. Like, she wishes them good luck because she's, she's rooting for them. She wants them to live and she wants to to um you know kind of model herself off of the good person that Sasha was and she is just devastated at that news and even says like I thought we were friends how could you do this I'm like holy shit like the whole the whole situation was already fucked up and then Isayama just added that nice cherry on top with Kaya and I was mm-hmm. like oh god this whole thing is fucked man <laughs> I remember asking during the episode like as as arthur was giving his speech like where was kaya the whole time because she didn't appear in the background with you know the other family members um but i after rewatching it the second time i saw that the mother placed the knife on the on the dinner table and i was like oh she was just probably sneaking around to, to grab that knife um but yeah it's kind of like kaya refutes everything that arthur had said um but this I think this shows like the, the consequence of, you know, being in this in this violent world and having to constantly make these these brutal choices. And then at the end of the episode, we get a very interesting scene between Armin, Mikasa and Gabby. Um, Armin. So first off, they're they're chatting, right? They, they bring they bring Gabby into that room, which is the three of them. And Gabby's like, you guys don't want to kill me. Like, I'm sure you do want to kill me. Kill, 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 kill. And Armin comments about how Gabby sounds like someone he knew, a.k.a. Aaron. And Um, he just shows up right then and there. Which is just like Armin, I think, making this whole fandom's thoughts canon in the show. Like, we're all thinking the same thing. Like, Gabby feels very much like Aaron did back in the day, which is a big... a, a big uh, arguing point that a lot of pro Gabby fans have is like, well, if this were, if you look at Aaron season one, season two, and most season three, like he's basically Gabby just on the other side of the fence. And I'm again, I'm like, yes, that, that makes sense. I know they're very similar characters, but I always go back to my thought of like, think about the situation that Gabby was brought up in, the people around her, and why is she the only one who kind of can't see the bigger picture? Like Aaron... Aaron's pretty tunnel vision sometimes, but I feel like he still has like good intentions. I don't know. I won't get into it too much, but I feel like there are differences here. But at the same time, yes, there are similarities. And Armin is basically just speaking that on screen for all of us. And Armin also just kind of reiterates, you know, the the senselessness of the violence where he he says like, you know, Gabby, like all you think about is is killing. And he wonders like if there's any other way out of this. Um, but thinking about it more, since we're 
we're saying so much about the similarities between Aaron and Gabby. I feel like in the next episode where Aaron finally gets that that heart to heart with with Mikasa and Armin, um, Gabby is going to see so much of herself reflected in the things that Aaron is doing, and hopefully she'll come to that realization that you know the actions that she took to get to where she is um, are not going to pay off or won't get her any sort of reward because Aaron is basically doing a lot of what she technically has done. Or will she realize that? Because this bitch is dense as fuck. So I don't know. It might just go in one year and <laughs> not the other. Yeah. But I think um, what you mentioned earlier about Aaron just suddenly walking into the room, that was amazing. Another great moment of like fantastic writing by Isayama. Like the fact that Aaron walks in with no warning, no dramatic cut was was brilliant. It reminded me very much of when Reiner dropped that bomb on Aaron that he was the armored titan and Bertolt was the colossal titan. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like that. It was one of those like blink and you'll miss it kind of moments. Or it's kind of like, you know, speak of the Eldian devil and he shall appear. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like I think the shock factor alone um impacts the viewer because we know the situation we know aaron and this whole dynamic so i think they knew exactly what they were doing by just letting aaron walk into the room um they being the writers they know what the what the fandom has been thinking and basically said don't even waste any budget money on some big reveal just have this his ass walk right into the room in the middle of a conversation unexpectedly and that will be hype enough and it's so scary because you know we always see aaron as you know this heroic character but when he walks in like it's he has a very grim look on his face and just the way that he's colored too it it's like palettes of almost like gray or or like dark dark brown and then he holds up his hand to show that he's cut himself you know as as a as a contingency measure if if he has to to if he has to throw down um so yeah it's like we're, we're seeing aaron like in this very villainous light as i had mentioned um, in the previous episode. Yeah, it's a good point that normally when he shows up on screen, you feel excited to see him. But in this moment, you felt a sense of dread, mm-hmm. at least from the point of view of Mikasa and Armin, especially Gabby, too. And to your point about how he was kind of colored or animated, his eyes are usually very um, vivid because he's got those like bright green eyes. And mm-hmm. they usually take a lot of time to make them look very, I don't know, lively. But I couldn't even see the green in his eyes. Like, I know they were half open because he was all, like, you know, bummed out looking or whatever. But, yeah, he just looked not himself in that moment. I am disappointed, though, that he kind of feels the need to basically hold Mikasa and Armin hostage, quote-unquote, by cutting his hand. But I guess on the flip side, given how many people are in that building, I think he's probably just playing it safe in case someone comes into the room and he has to kind of like keep them at bay. So I hope he's cutting his hand not as a way to um, apply pressure on Mikasa and Armin because they're his best friends. Like he should trust them and know that they only want to help him at the end of the day, but more so that he did that as, as a safety measure. Oh, he's kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm also really pissed that Gabby gets the privilege of sitting at that table and witnessing the private conversation between the main trio. Like, 
besides her getting what she deserves, the other thing that I've been waiting for this whole season, and I think a lot of us have, is for the main trio to reunite. And now it's going to be potentially ruined by Gabby's dumbass. Like, I hope she keeps her mouth shut the whole time <laughs> and let this unfold. I just, like, I have been dying to see the main trio get back together. Although it is kind of sad because I feel like while we we're getting this reunion, it's going to be in a very negative light versus you know a, a nice positive warm light. Mm-hmm. And again, to comment more on Gabby, I remember there was a scene of her, I think back in Liberio, where she swore to to kill Aaron Yeager, but now that she's in his presence, she all she can do is just sit in shock. Yeah, like bitch, he's he's right there. You know, mm-hmm. just live up to all the all the hype you had around killing Aaron Yeager. Like now, she's probably just gonna sit there and piss her pants instead. Yeah. Two more things with this episode. One, I just wanted to comment on the music uh, that's used. So that that theme that plays during the trailer and that was a, a very prevalent throughout um, throughout the Liberio raid, I guess. Um, it's called "Ashes on the Fire." And it's actually by the second composer for Attack on Titan, um, Kota Yamamoto, which I've already added to you know my anime Spotify playlist because it's such a orchestral banger. But uh, I like how there's a very somber version of this theme that that plays during um, I think Niccolo's plight after he realizes the error of his ways and um, trying to get Gabby executed or trying to kill Falco. And then that continues on into Gabby's conversation with Mikasa and Armin. Um, yeah, I, I can't highlight the music enough in, in the series just for, again, it, it's sounding so epic, but it, in this sense, you know, it, it's so subdued, but it, it gets you into that emotion of, you know, what what has this all been about? Um, and then I think towards the end of the episode, when Aaron says he wants to have a chat with Mikasa and Armin, you you hear the theme that plays during Willie's play, where it's kind of like the Ashes on the Fire theme, but it's more almost like a marching band. And I think they also play it when you know the Jaegerists come in. Um, so I just wanted to commend Kota Yamamoto and I think Kiyoyuki Sawano, who also composed music for the series, for for conveying that that sense of emotion um, through the music. A really quick the fuck was that face that flock made oh my god i was gonna say <laughs> flock's a little bitch now like he's arrogant as fuck holy shit mm-hmm. he kind of made, it looked like a weird jojo face but <laughs> at the same time it almost felt like you know you're seeing the joker um, which the jojo face is appropriate because his voice actor is is the same one as giorno from oh Part that's Six. right i forgot about that yeah so maybe they were maybe it was an homage to to giorno giovanna but yeah that that face you know it just embodied like the anarchy that that is going on in parodies and i guess like i said it kind of like you know the joker who who just wants to see the world burn i feel like flock um he's almost becoming what we're all fearing aaron is becoming like he he started off kind of ambiguous and then he was all you know gung-ho about the scouts but then he started to be manipulated by yelena and now he's like behaving in a very evil way but this is different than what we're seeing from Aaron. Like people are saying, like, oh, is Aaron becoming the villain? But you never see Aaron act over the top. Like he his his actions may be questionable, but they always kind of tie back into the bigger goal. And he never does anything to really piss anybody off, really, or get at anybody. It's just to progress his plan. Versus Flock, 
who like is very very happy that he can kind of turn the tables on Hanj and you know kind of put her in her place mm-hmm. and I'm like why like I get that she was your superior and maybe she um, pissed you off a couple of times but like that just seemed like such a quote-unquote evil thing to do like his behavior is just very evil um, so I, I think that maybe this is kind of like a gentle reminder like there's a difference between like the anti-hero and the villain maybe if I'm thinking about it correctly yeah I can, I can kind of see that but I don't know we'll see flock is flock's a little bitch so maybe he'll get clocked <laughs> in the face next <laughs> flock just has a dream the preview for the next episode I have one comment and one comment only, or rather it's a question. Was that the fucking potato sergeant that we saw Flock punch in the chest? It looked like it, yeah. Oh my God. I hope they bring <laughs> him back. He was great, especially with his dynamic with Sasha. Yeah, I wonder how he feels about her death. I know. He'll probably be like, who? And then they'll just say, oh, the <laughs> potato girl. And he'll be like, oh, the one who said she was giving me half the potato, but it definitely wasn't half the potato. And then that I sent on a on like a run throughout the night <laughs> and I, I might be the only person who calls him this but i don't remember his character name at all so i just call him potato sergeant she's potato girl and he's potato sergeant but yeah that, that's it that's all i had to say about the preview <laughs> the only thing i have to say if levi dies i riot oh boy because <laughs> <laughs> i think the last shot of the preview is levi looking up and it seems like he's either hanging off something or He's like upside down, right? Yeah, and he's like in shock. So I don't know, man. I've I just feel like something terrible is about to happen to Levi. Oh God! But like I said I before, pray, yeah. this show is extremely stressful. Like if it keeps going this way, we're all going to die of heart attacks by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if, if Levi dies, I will die with him, but I will riot to hell and back first. <laughs> And that brings us to our final thoughts for Attack on Titan, episode 72, Children of the Forest. So how many vinyl fluids out of 10 would you give this episode? I would give it a solid 8.5 out of 10, um, mostly because I got one of my wishes granted with Gabby, um, and I got the start of my other wish with the main trio reuniting. So you know, next episode, I'm thinking it was going to be a, a very rewarding one, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I would say it's a solid 8.5. It was super hype despite nothing happening. And I know that we kind of go back and forth with these episodes like, oh, a lot happened, but it wasn't a hype episode or, oh, not a lot happened, but you know, it was still really exciting. This was one of those where clearly you don't have to have an action packed episode for you to be on the edge of your seat. It kind of reminds me of the declaration of war episode with the conversation between Reiner and Aaron. Mm-hmm. Like the episode itself probably took like a in in real time or whatever probably took like 20 minutes or so 30 minutes or so but like it it just so much happened in such a little amount of time with such little activity going on so this was another one of those episodes and i think the payoff was really big here but what about you what did you think yeah i would actually give this nine vinyl fluids out of 10 damn yeah again i did not expect to enjoy this episode as much as i did because again, like this, again, this seems like it's going to be the last, or at least the penultimate in the series of talking episodes. But it, again, the scenes at the restaurant were just so fantastic, and they just really highlighted the folly of you know this entire conflict and the toll that it's taking on both the regular folk in parodies alongside you know, our main cast of characters, and at the same time, this episode also begins to 
converge all the expository plot points from these past four episodes, whether it be, you know, Yelena's um, shady dealings or the whole thing with the housewine. And, you know, with those plot points all coming together, it seems like they're going to ignite a very explosive three episode finale. And I feel like these last three officially announced episodes are going to focus significantly on this whole forest or housewine arc. And that's, I feel like it's just fueling more speculation for a season four part two or a full length movie to, to really conclude the series. And I know earlier today, Crunchyroll had released a quote unquote season finale trailer, which is weird because the trailer says, you know, these are the final three episodes, but I feel like there's still so much more of the story because we haven't even seen like this, this invasion of parodies that's supposed to happen. Yeah, something's up. They're they're trying to hide kind of what their plan is, obviously, from us as the viewers. But there's literally no way. I mean, there's no way. With a manga ending in like a month, there's no way that there's only three episodes there left of Attack no on Titan way. anime. There was no way. Yeah, it's yeah. just like it, it, it's a, they call it a season finale instead of like a series finale. Because that's what this is supposed to be, right? It's the final season. This is... This is the finale to end all finales. Yeah, I'm going to place my my money on uh, a part two of the season, which I would very much prefer over uh, a movie because at mm-hmm. most you're getting like, what, four episodes, five episodes worth of content in a two-hour movie. Um, I would much rather have another 15, 16 episodes, hopefully even more than that. I feel like it, because what, it's typically 26 episodes in one season, so that would probably make it like a bonus 10 episodes at the very least if they do a part two yeah do it right just give give more time to telling the story end it on a on a great note please no game of thrones season eight moment yes and don't make us wait like three or four years oh my god that too and that wraps up this special episode of Strictly Anime. New episodes release every Wednesday following the new episode of Attack on Titan, and that's in addition to our regular schedule for Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series and be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com, to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageyo. Shinzo wa sasageyo.